Hello everyone, my name is Caleb Walgren and you're listening to Season 5, Episode 36 of the greatest sports podcast in all the land, and that is Brody Sports Talk. I am joined by the fantastic, fabulous, and faithful podcast companion of mine, Derek Rusnick. Derek, how are you doing today? I cannot believe it. I said there was going to be a red team in the Super Bowl, and I'm right. Um, Derek, you can take down your, like, faithful to the Bay sign. You don't need to have your Christian McCaffrey jersey on right now. I know that you've been on the – the 49ers have been your bandwagon team for a while. And, uh, I mean, they're both red, though. So, uh, I guess you're seeing a lot of red right now, isn't uh, that true? I I am seeing red. Uh, yeah, I think there's, uh, there's a whole, uh, Disney Channel movie about turning red or something like that. Uh, turning red, pan- yes. Yeah, about pandas and stuff like that. I could be Kung Fu Panda. So, I think, it, I think it all works in the end. Uh, there's a lot of red out there. Um, I don't think you've seen the movie Turning Red, if that is what you're talking about. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to steer clear of that one a little bit. I was going to say, uh, you are Captain Orange, so it's like you're a shade adjacent to this Super Bowl. Yeah. So that works. And let's face it, does anyone really want to go to a Super Bowl that is hosted by the worst franchise in the NFL? Uh, apparently the Chiefs and 49ers do, as they are going to be traveling and hitting the road, uh, probably the planes, to Las Vegas shortly. Uh so just just so everyone out there in podcast land knows, the AFC West team uh, that the Raiders play um, twice a year and once in their host stadium, the the Kansas City Chiefs are going to play a playoff game in the Raiders stadium before the Raiders do. That is saying something. I mean, that's what happens when uh, they are the Raiders. So uh, I think that that's quite clear, and that's why Derek wishes that uh, there was only 31 teams in football now. Um, but let's go do, through a quick rundown. I know we missed last week. I promise it is not because I was grieving my Packers loss. Uh, we will talk about that here in a little bit. Uh, definitely some things going on on my side of the family, but I appreciate y'all's patience. Uh, but we're going to do our Brody spotlights, go through some thoughts on the divisional and conference rounds. And because it is the weekend of the Pro Bowl, in honor of that, we are going to uh, remember the legendary John Madden and his what used to be the All Madden team. And we're going to go with our All Brody team for the 2023 season and jump into that at the end. Uh, but Derek, what is something that you are shining your spotlight on this week? Okay, so this week uh, and last week, we have seen some new coaching hires that have come across the NFL. Uh, to all those great men out there, welcome to your new teams. I wish nothing but the best for you. But I have a question for, let's call it sports media. Why are these teams hiring this particular offensive coordinator or this particular head coach? Um, we, ha- we, we, we go through, and I guess we're part of the sports media as well um, on this podcast, but 
we have seen a lot of, and I'm using him as an example only, Brock Purdy slander. Um, in saying he's a game manager. He, you know, anyone can go do that. We saw what happened with Jimmy G. Jimmy G went to a Super Bowl. Um, you know, he had really great stats and blah, 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 blah. Uh, all about Brock Purdy being a game manager, not actually being a great quarterback. Cool. Um, here's a question that I have for 31 other franchises, and maybe actually only 30, because I know the Packers are doing quite well with their quarterback. Um, do you want a quarterback that is going to run their own system, unproven, by the way, a, an unproven quarterback? Like, you know, Tom Brady, he has his system because it's proven. He went down to Tampa Bay, and they ran the Tom Brady offense because that's that's what got him there. But for most of the quarterbacks out there, if I am drafting a quarterback, especially drafting a quarterback where most of these guys do in the first three rounds of the NFL draft, I want you to run my offense. I was hired. I am paid double-digit millions of dollars each year to run a an offensive scheme um, for a guy like Kyle Shanahan, a guy like Sean McVay, using those two guys as a, as examples. They are brilliant offensive minds, brilliant football minds. Kyle Shanahan is half of the greatest coach in the history of football, Mike Shanahan. Only because Mike Shanahan won a uh, championship for the Broncos. That's just a little homer pick right there. But uh, they they are brilliant football minds, can scheme up offensive plays all day long. But the 49ers went out and traded a bunch of picks for the third overall selection. They got a uh, they got a guy very mobile um, coming out of. Uh, a non-Division One school, but at the same time, really, I mean, a lot of people were like, hey, this guy is is a really good pick. He didn't make it in the Kyle Shanahan system. He's now the third string for the Dallas Cowboys. You got the 256th pick, I believe he is, Brock Purdy. He came in, and for guys that are drafted that low, you have a bad practice, and you can be cut. We're not even talking about having a bad game, a bad season, a bad anything. You have like, you have nothing to keep you there. They're they're not trying to, uh, you know, keep guys on the roster that that's not going to contribute, not going to give them value. He went out there, and hey, I'm you know I'm going to make the roster. I, I, I did really well in practice. I'm picking up this offense really well. He go last year, sitting behind Jimmy G. Yeah, probably not gonna be doing anything, but he's really cheap. He'll he'll be a good backup quarterback if anything happens. Jimmy Garoppolo gets hurt. He comes in and takes the world by storm. The only thing that kept Brock Purdy from winning a Super Bowl last year, and I'm gonna put it out there, winning a Super Bowl because that team looked really good last year, was that his his arm fell off. And then his backup quarterback got a concussion after a couple of plays. He still went out there and handed the ball off as much as he could, and it didn't work because the Eagles were just keen on the run. 
Brock Purdy runs Kyle Shanahan's system to a T. Like, does everything that within human ranges of this is the, the play gets called out. He, he reads the defense really well and he executes what the offensive corner slash head coach wants him to do. He's going to overthrow the ball once in a while. He's not going to see something. He's going to throw an interception because he's human. But on the other half of the Super Bowl now, we have Patrick Mahomes, which is, oh, this guy's the greatest quarterback in the history of mankind. He makes plays. He runs. You know, he scrambles. He gets the ball. He does some wild and crazy things. Up until this year, this year, Patrick Mahomes has kept the ball and not thrown those weird passes like he usually does because he doesn't doesn't have to because the defense is really good this year. So if he doesn't turn the ball over, all of a sudden, like, he knows that he can get back in this game because he can rely on his defense. The same thing happens across the league. If you're going to, to hire a head coach or an offensive coordinator like Atlanta did this week with hiring Oklahoma State Cowboy Zach Robinson. He's been sitting under Sean McVay for a couple of years now. Kevin O'Connell was, uh, you know, he was uh, the quarterback coach under Kevin O'Connell before he went to the Vikings. He's got a really good uh, mentors that he's had. If you're going to hire a head coach or an offensive coordinator um, who has smarts to them, why don't you want a quarterback that runs your system properly? Because we've got two guys in the Super Bowl this year who are running the plays that are called for them one does it perfectly with the Shanahan system. The other one goes off script once in a while, but Andy Reid makes those plays. I, I, all I'm asking is someone explain it to me. If are you hiring a, a an offensive coordinator to maybe corral a quarterback, or are you hiring one to plan your offense? And then go in and get in a quarterback that's going to run that offense properly. I, I, I love this point, Derek. And I think that this could be something we could probably have our own complete podcast episode on at some point. Um, I think my long and short of this is a little bit nuanced, but it's the uh, you have to have the right partnership between quarterback and coach to get things to work correctly. I was looking back, Derek, at a lot of the most recent just Super Bowl contenders. I mean, if we're talking about the quarterbacks, we're talking about great quarterbacks for the most part. We're talking about Mahomes, Hurts, Stafford, uh, Joe Burrow, Brady. Uh, we've got Jimmy G in there, if you want to count him. Uh, Jared Goff, Tom Brady again. Um, Nick Foles is an interesting one, if you want yeah. to get to that. Um, Matt Ryan, which again would have been Shanahan calling the offensive uh-huh. plays. Um, but you get to it where you have a, there has to be a good relationship between the play caller and the quarterback. And if it doesn't exist, you're not going to be there. Um, it's the reason why, despite the fact that Philly did win 
Super Bowl 52 against the Patriots, they fell off after that. Peterson and Wentz could not coexist, and Nick Foles is not good enough to be the quarterback for a whole season. Uh, Jared Goff and McVay made it with the Rams, but McVay and Stafford won the Super Bowl together. You know, is Goff, the Goff-McVay combo was, was not enough. They scored three points in the Super Bowl. <laughs> like, it, it simply was clear that it was not enough. He's doing better with Ben Johnson and Dan Campbell. He definitely had a chance of going there again as the Lions offense was hot for a half. Uh, unfortunately, football is played in 60 minute increments, uh, or the, the 49ers would be not where they are today. Uh, but, uh, I, I think that it's an interesting dynamic putting those two things together. And that, that kind of brings me to my next point, Derek, because I wanted to talk about the fact that, uh, I feel like it's brought up every time around the coaching carousel, oh, okay, this team has fit the requirement for the Rooney Rule because they've gone ahead and interviewed a minority head coach. Um, Now, technically, there's the New England Patriots that hired a minority head coach because it was already written into his contract that if they moved on from Bill Belichick, they would promote him, and they did, and that's Gerard Mayo. Uh, Outside of that, we still have two openings in Seattle and Washington, but Dave Canales was – uh, he is Hispanic. He's now the head coach of the Carolina Panthers. Antonio Pierce got the interim tag removed. Derek and I disagree on how good that is. Listen to a prior episode if you want to hear more about that. But Pierce is the official head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. And Raheem Morris uh, was hired by the Atlanta Falcons. Now, I'm not trying to shade the other head coaching hires in Brian Callahan to the Titans or Jim Harbaugh to the Chargers. But I think in general, seeing more uh, people of color, especially as a lot of African-American athletes especially dominate the sport as far as who's taking on the field, it's good to see them getting their representation in the coaching ranks as well. Raheem Morris was a coach a long time ago, it feels like. He's who actually was the interim in Atlanta before they hired Arthur Smith. <laughs> they saw what Arthur Smith did, and they said, hey, Raheem, can you come back, please? Uh, and can you bring Zach Robinson with you? Because he seems like he might be good. Uh, so <laughs> I know Derek loves Zach Robinson, Oklahoma State Cowboy, hence why he dropped him in on his part. But I, I just think that we're we're seeing it, and it, I don't feel like it's being discussed much because, in general, we're seeing good coaches get the opportunities that they deserve. And I'll say this, a lot of people were like, why is Bill Belichick not getting hired? I don't think that he has the right personality, and I don't know that he has the the right offensive people around him in order for him to get another head coaching job. I I just don't see a fit for him with, like, in general, if you look at the year that he had the Patricia Judge offensive play calling system, that's not someone that you want mentoring your quarterback. Talk about the coach quarterback relationship where you have someone who's trying to run it who's never run an offense before. It's a disaster. So, uh, I like how our two points kind of mesh quite a bit here, Derek. Uh, any thoughts on Dan Rooney, uh, being proud of the hires that have happened in the league? 
Yeah, so I don't know how much longer we can have our uh, coaches and football teams not look like each other. Let's just put it that way. Um, we have a lot, a lot, a lot of great players uh, over the last 10, 15 years that have finished their careers and have joined the coaching ranks. Um, we see, uh, we'll use Antonio Pierce as an example. I watched him, uh, do a lot of great things, uh, on the field. And now he's doing a lot of great things in the coaching ranks. Um, I, I, I do, I mean, Jim, I mean, uh, the Jim, Harbaugh, I can't even think of words today. Harbaugh was, uh, you know, played for the Chargers, um, in his career, kind of a, of a journeyman, quarterback there played for a lot of different teams um you know a lot of people you know we can watch the uh, the film of uh from back in the uh, 99 2000 time frame um so i i think with seeing some of these really great players that uh have come through and we're going to see more and more coaches reflect what their their teams look like, and I'm all for it. Um, I, I think that that you need the best people in the room and the best people to motivate uh, these these guys that go out there for 17 weeks plus. Um, and I know that uh, I've had a couple of coaches in my life that their words will stick with me my entire life, um, and so that is a very special connection that you would make with a coach and a player and it's a special relationship and I'm hoping that we see more of that with younger coaches and coaches uh, who have played in the league I will say I don't know if you noticed this Derek but we have finally reached the point where Sean McVay is no longer the youngest head coach in the NFL because uh, Gerard Mayo, who was the 2008 Rookie of the Year for the Patriots, mm-hmm. is one month younger <laughs> than Sean McVay. I like Which it. Sean McVay has been the coach of the Rams since 2017 and is no longer the youngest coach at the age of 38 in the league. Wasn't somebody else... Um... Like really close to it. I don't remember one of these. One of the hires that they had was, uh, or some maybe one. It was maybe it was one of like the lean contenders or whatever was like really close. It was Kellen Moore that uh, that I was thinking that he was only like a little bit off of it, and he uh, he's been in the league a little while as a uh, as as an OC. That's what I was thinking earlier. Oh, you would be right. Kellen Moore is only thirty five. Yeah. Put that down as things that you go, what? Uh, <laughs> that's okay. I will take Kellen Moore all day. I love, I've watched that man across his, uh, his playing career at Boise State, uh, all the way up to where he is now. And, uh, good luck to the Philadelphia Eagles. Fly Eagle Fly, as, uh, he's the new OC over there. Um, 
it also just makes me feel old looking at Kellen Moore's uh, Wikipedia page <laughs> because it says that he was the WAC freshman of the year back in 2008. Uh-huh. And he's a two-time WAC offensive player of the year and then a Mountain West conference player of the year. Uh-huh. <laughs> if you remember the Western Athletic Conference back when it had football, so do I. So do I, friends. Um Last but not least, here in the spotlight segment, I do want to go ahead and just call attention to something that just kind of, when I was reading it, it it just kind of struck my heart. And it's the fact that at a public park in Wichita, Kansas, which is not that far away from where us Brodies are down here in the Sooner State, uh, a statue of Jackie Robinson was stolen. Uh, Here we are talking about, you know, black coaches coming into prominence and the fact that it's not really being that discussed. Like it's just happening because they're the best people for the jobs and that's how it should be. Not only was it stolen, but then today it was found burned and they saw pieces of the statue and it was not salvageable. Uh, For those of you who may be younger and not aware, but Jackie Robinson was the first black player to play Major League Baseball, and he is known for wearing the number 42. He played for the Brooklyn Dodgers, and he is a legend. The number 42 is retired across Major League Baseball because of it, and there have been countless movies, just different things done to represent how strong he was playing for the Dodgers right after World War II, getting there in 1947 and playing for them for 10 years. First ballot Hall of Famer and when he was eligible, led the National League in stolen bases two times and also won the National League MVP and won a World Series. So fantastic player. Fantastic athlete. Fantastic man. Um, I don't know that there's anyone who looks at the things that Jackie Robinson does. And at least for me, and you can tell me if you think that this is going too far, Derek. I think when I think of Jackie Robinson, it reminds me of people like Martin Luther King Jr., where they helped change the perception of segregation. Because there was no place for it then, there's no place for it now. And just seeing all of this, it hurts. It's not the way our society is supposed to be. And I hope that the the police in Wichita are able to find justice. Even though it seems like it's going to be tricky to do that at this point in time. Uh, anything you want to add there, Derek? I will. I will say that as a, a young sports fan... Um, the stories of Jackie Robinson and, and players of that era and what they went through just to play the game they love was inspiring. And it gave me a sense of community and it gave me a sense of what sports means to me deep down versus just the, hey, there's fun stuff uh, that we're doing, but it's it's more about the... Uh, the guys that are beside you 
and uh, less about we're going to go defeat our enemy or anything like that. It is those guys are, are playing their tails off just as much as we're playing our tails off. And um, it doesn't matter what I look like. doesn't matter what the guy next to me looks like. Um, it, it's uh, about us going out there and having a good time and doing our best. And to, I mean, I never had to grow up in an era where that was ever a sense. I mean, I, I, I've had a lot of, of different, uh, ethnicities in my, in the classrooms, in on my sports teams, in my community groups. And, um, it's because of guys like that, that, that isn't a second thought for me, um, and for the people that I'm around. And so, uh, there's a reason why he has a statue out in, uh, or, or had the statue. And I'm hoping that that can be resolved soon. We can, and we can get something put back up. We can catch the people who did this, um, because I think statues are important for us to remember our past and how far we've come. Absolutely. It's it's not the way that the world is supposed to be. It was the wrong way for a long time, and let's let's hope that we all progress past that. Uh, Derek, let's go ahead though. Uh, we are a football podcast first and foremost. Let's look at the last couple of weeks of football because, you know, like I said, I was out last week. Uh, it was not Derek's fault at all, and it was not just because the Packers lost. Um, but let's go through the divisional round games and then jump into the conference championship games a little bit here. So first, uh, we'll just go in chronological order. The Baltimore Ravens crushed the Houston Texans 34 to 10. Ravens defense looked phenomenal in that contest. They didn't allow the Texans offense, which had been red hot, to get a touchdown in that game. Uh, the only touchdown came via a punt return touchdown. Uh, Derek, what thoughts do you have about Ravens Texans? I mean, this is why everyone, uh, is voting for Lamar Jackson as the, the MVP of the league. Um, he showed why he is and why he should win that award. Um, I will say, I mean, they're, they're, this is a, a tenured team in the Ravens going up against a, a young, uh, upstart, uh, Texans team. Uh, it showed a lot of promise. Uh, the Texans previous, uh, the, the game the week before, um, showed just what the, the Texans can do. Um, and you know, you, you'll go up against the number, the number one seed. It's going to be a tough ride. Um, so yeah, this is a, this is a learning experience. Of course, you don't want to lose. Um, but, uh, I think the, Rookie head coach, rookie quarterback. Um, I think you're pretty proud of what you, uh, you walk away from that game, uh, as the Texans, um, to, hey, we did, we did some good things. And the Ravens, it just showed what the Ravens truly were all year long. They were just this buzzsaw. Absolutely. Uh, next up, we have the game between the Green Bay Packers and the San Francisco 49ers. The 49ers won that 24 to 21, scoring the final 10 points of the contest and uh, making Green Bay Packer fans like myself very sad. I'll admit 
I am only grateful for one thing from this game, and that is that the Packers are moving on from defensive coordinator Joe Barry. It was the first time that a Shanahan offense had ever come back from being down by seven or more because they're just so used to playing with the lead, I think. And let's be real, Joe Barry was not good. I had said it was time for him to go. He's not the one that missed the kick. That was Anders Carlson. But his defense gave up the points, including that big run to McCaffrey. Uh, Derek, I know I'm slandering uh, the Packers coach. The 49ers did enough to win. Uh, anything that you want to add here about that contest? I mean, I, I think that we are, are seeing that you're <laughs> – Honestly, the, and we'll talk about it a little bit more when we get into the other games, but, uh, the 49ers are using the playoffs as a, as a preseason games. So let's get us, get ourselves into some weird situations and see if we can get out of them. Uh, in this case, let's, uh, do something we've never done before. Um, and that's have to come back in the fourth quarter. Um, and they did it. And so now they know they can do that. They could, they got that monkey off their back. And unfortunately, it was at the hand of the Packers. Uh, honestly, the Packers should have won that game. They were controlling that game most of it. And, um, but I will say Jordan Love looks really good. Um, and he certainly, I would say a championship level quarterback. I could see that, uh, he would definitely, be able to give you as many uh, Super Bowls as uh, both Brett and Aaron gave the the team in his uh, in his tenure. He will have as many. Absolutely. Well, let's continue going here because when we got to the next day, it was a a beautiful day for the Detroit Lions as they controlled enough of the fourth quarter to win the game over the Bucks, 31 to 23. Definitely a high scoring game there as just enough getting done. Uh, it wasn't necessarily the stars as Craig Reynolds and Josh Reynolds, uh, no relation, both had <laughs> touchdowns, but, uh, Jameer Gibbs and Amon Ra got it done there in the fourth quarter. Detroit winning two home games this year, Derek. Uh, I think the city is ecstatic, but I know that it's only going to put higher hopes for next year on them. Uh, what are your thoughts here about the Lions or the Bucks? Anything you want to add? Yeah, so the Lions are showing us that they can win in the playoffs, um, that they are showing uh, showing the world that uh, – I, I mean, i got to give it to the, to the Lions. I didn't think the Dan Campbell coaching pick was good. I was wrong. I will stand on that as I uh, I apologize to all of my uh Motor City faithful that um you know I'm wrong. They they I think they finally said, "Hey, we're we don't have to feel bad for ourselves. We're going to get there. We're going to play games. We're going to win games." And on the other side of the Buccaneers, I really think that they um they should hold their head high. They I think they found uh, a quarterback that they can uh, a serviceable guy that deserves a chance um and you know uh if they actually uh step up properly maybe uh win the NFC South outright versus it coming down to the last couple of weeks of the season 
you know, try to put together uh, a 10, 11 win season. And uh, because they, they have the players, they have the talent. So I think this is a, a good, good game for both teams to, uh, to walk away from. Definitely. Definitely is. Uh, last but not least on the divisional round weekend, we had the Kansas City Chiefs winning 27 to 24 over the Buffalo Bills. Uh, Derek, I heard this said or I read it on X. You can always find us there at Brody Talk. Someone said about Josh Allen, what if he is the Philip Rivers of this generation of quarterbacks? He's so dang good. He does so much for his team, and it just doesn't feel like there's enough there around him. And when you look around at the other parts of the AFC, like Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, and Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen may not get a chance to burst through to a Super Bowl. Um, I don't know if that's accurate or not. But if it is, I feel like it's a pretty condemn, condemning statement about the Buffalo Bills. Um, Josh Allen played really well, no turnovers, two rushing touchdowns and a passing touchdown. I feel like if I tell you all of that, we should be talking about a Bills win. But it was Mahomes to Kelsey, Pacheco, and them just doing more with their defense than the Bills did because the the last time anyone scored in this game was right at the start of the fourth quarter. There were chances they just didn't happen. I will I'll give you that. Um I think that and and Bills fans please do not I mean you can you can you can berate me on on X or Twitter or whatever you want to call it. I think that uh, Josh Allen is Joe Flacco. Uh, I think that he, at some point in time, he's going to come through. They're going to put everything together, uh, and the Bills are going to, uh, are going to get their Super Bowl. Uh, but he's only ever going to win one. And, um, you know, uh, watch out Josh Allen's girlfriend, um, because Philip Rivers has, I think, 11 kids now or 10 <laughs> kids. So get started soon. I guess. Oh gosh. Uh, I uh, yeah. I was not not <laughs> expecting that in yeah. any way. Yeah. Oh I, man. Uh, I try um, to catch a mid mid drink so I can see if I can get the uh, the the spit take flash. Yeah. The yeah. <laughs> um. No. It's so it, it's it's always going to be one of those. Uh, can. You know, there's there's a lot of a, a lot of good quarterbacks in the in the AFC. Uh, you just name them. This could just be a Moby Dick situation where Patrick Mahomes is the white whale that uh, Josh Allen's going to have to get past, and it's just going to feel all the much, the so much better if you can get past him and go win a Super Bowl for the Buffalo Bills, um, or maybe you lose it and you go white le- wide left this time instead of wide right. Who knows? Part of me still says too soon. Um, I will say that I like Josh Allen. I think he's a good dude, so I don't wish that upon him. But I will say, if you tell Bills fans that they're getting Joe Flacco and they get a ring and they get elite quarterback play, I think they would take it. I think they would take it in a heartbeat. People who don't, like when your team doesn't win a Super Bowl, 
winning one changes everything. Changes everything. Yeah. We, okay, we, we go back and we look at Joe Flacco this year, and he had a great year coming off the couch, basically, uh, for the Browns. Um, but I'll tell you this right now, it totally changes the outlook of Joe Flacco when he did win that one. And, and you know, I, I remember the, uh, I remember that game, that Super Bowl lights went out. Uh, they were playing the 49ers and they had to hang on at the end of that game, but they did. And it changes the perception of what, uh, what you look like as a quarterback. Yeah, that was the Harbaugh Bowl, and now we can only hope yeah. for a Harbaugh AFC Championship. Yeah, exactly. Come on. Come on, uh, Jim. Why'd you have to go to the Chargers? Um, well, let's go to the conference championship round here. Uh, the Chiefs back-to-back here as they go to the Super Bowl again. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is playing road games. What? Uh, Chiefs 17, Ravens 10. Again, I don't know how much of this I can really say. Yeah, this was all Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes did a lot. Pacheco was consistent. Kelsey kept finding holes in the defense. But that defense just kept getting them off the field. Uh, the Spagnuolo defense has done phenomenal this year. I don't know how much I can emphasize it more because I've emphasized it multiple times this year. But the Chiefs are representing the AFC in the Super Bowl despite the best efforts of Lamar Jackson and Zay Flowers. Uh, any any thoughts here, Derek? Yeah, so on this defense, this Chiefs defense that uh, is so touted, they are not the guys that are going to go out here and like, okay, yeah, you don't you don't put up any any passing yards or any rushing yards, anything like that. What they're going to do is make opportune plays that disrupt the rest of the game. Uh, a goal line, like, inches away from a touchdown, uh, forcing a fumble and then getting a touchback because you get the ball. Like, I was expecting, okay, the Ravens are going to go in there. Okay, they're, they, they're, they're going to score that touchdown. Okay, what's, you know, what I'm thinking what offensive plays are the Chiefs going to put out there? Um, on the next drive, you've just given up the seven points. And then all of a sudden, in three seconds, it's like they didn't score. Oh, okay, well, here's a – we're going to force Lamar Jackson to fumble the ball. We're going to uh, – and Lamar was throwing the ball as if every touchdown was worth 14 points because um, he was just throwing the ball so far down there. Um, like, it felt like every time he he passed the ball – it was, I mean, and yeah, Zay Flowers was open a lot of times. They, I mean, he did have a lot of, of, of big catches, but it felt like there wasn't any any attempt at dink and dunk, uh, any attempt at, you know, closer stuff and yards after a catch. It just felt like, okay, well, anything over... 25 yards is going to be worth more points, and it's not. It's worth the same six points whether you get there in 30 seconds or three minutes. Um, and so, I mean, I like Todd Munkin. I think he was he was a good offensive uh, coach to to bring in. I think the the Ravens are going to be just as good next year. Um, this game is just one of those you wish you had back. And let's be real. 
Justice Hill, three carries for three yards. Gus Edwards, three carries for 20 yards. Those are your only running back runs. Six runs for the game. Yeah. That's not a good game plan. And you saw that there, it was going to – the running game could have worked. And you're not talking about a a game that was – you know, 17 point lead or 21 point lead or anything like that. It was a close game throughout. And so, I mean, I think you could have used that time, um, use your, uh, your drives to get there to, to put together like a real, cause your defense was stopping the Chiefs. So I don't understand why they, they went away from probably what, uh, what got them there in the first place. And let's go ahead and go to the final game of Championship Sunday. And that was the win for the San Francisco 49ers, 34-31 to over those Detroit Lions. If you wanted rushing touchdowns, this game had them. It featured six. It had all the points in this game. And it featured a touch or an interception by one of Derek's favorite players, Malcolm Rodriguez, former Oklahoma State Cowboy Malcolm Rodriguez, that is. And, uh, just an all-around very streaky game is probably the best way I can define this as the Lions went up. And if you saw this game at halftime, you were like, the Lions are going to the Super Bowl. What the heck? And um, they were up 24 to seven and things, things crumbled in the second half and they, they gave up a, a lead. They were down 10. They got a late touchdown but it was uh, too little too late. Uh, Derek, what do you want to add on this Niners triumph there in Levi Stadium as they have another come-from-behind win? So I have a, I have a bit of a, of a question for you and for our uh, our podcast listeners. So um, the Big 12 is a football conference. It puts out, all, a, puts out some good guys. Um, you know, Texas, I know you are usually the, the leader of putting out the most guys into the NFL. Um, there's a couple of guys that come from Oklahoma State, a couple of guys come from Iowa State, um, but there's a lot of Big Ten, a lot of SEC, a lot of Pac-12. You know, what are the odds that a backup linebacker who comes in for a hurt player who had an interception last year, what are the odds that a backup linebacker um, had already picked off the quarterback for the other team when they were in college. Oh, wait, it happened. Malcolm Rodriguez, pick six versus Brock Purdy when Malcolm was at Oklahoma State and Brock was at Iowa State. Uh, these are two teams, you know, two like Oklahoma State and Iowa State. Don't put a whole lot of guys in the NFL. Don't put a whole lot of starters out there. And yet... Malcolm picked off Brock Purdy before, and uh, it was a a very fun reminisce of because uh, I love me some Malcolm Rodriguez. Uh, uh, he was really good on Hard Knocks last year, uh, and uh, it was it was just fun to be like, haha! So they do it again, and um, the 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 Lions should have won that game. They I don't know how you how they they got back in there, but good on the Niners. Uh, I'm going to be rooting for them 
because uh, they're my bandwagon team, but uh, somehow the 49ers got up, got in there, and beat the beat the Lions. I've got to ask you this because mm-hmm. I was double checking. So David Montgomery and Brock Purdy were both on the 2018 Iowa State uh, Cyclones team. Mm. Do you know who was ahead of Brock Purdy at quarterback <laughs> during oh, man. his freshman year? <laughs> I am going to – I know the name. I just can't think of it at this point. I'm going to probably kick myself for not uh, for not remembering. So there's uh, two names that it listed here because he started third string which uh, Matt Campbell, shame on you, man. Yeah. Uh, They are Zeb Noland, who is listed as a grad assistant for the South Carolina Gamecocks. Mm -hmm. They're under Beamer. And Kyle Kempt. No, I actually didn't remember those names. I thought I would have, but I don't remember those names. Kyle Kempt does not even have a Wikipedia page. Hmm. That shows you how well he was at Iowa State. I've, I've now got to figure out the mystery of Kyle Kempt. Anyway, that's that's not why we're here. But uh, any any kind of closing thoughts as far as the team, the the various things around these. Conference championships, the divisional round, as we get to the the Super Bowl, the big one. Yeah, I mean we're we're several weeks in uh, to this. Let's see, eighteen, and then we have nineteen, twenty. So, so we're like around game twenty for uh, some teams. Uh, it all shakes out in the wash. So the number one team on each side got to the championship game. Uh, one of them is going to the Super Bowl. The other one, you know, the Chiefs, I think, were a little lazy during the uh, during the season, and they probably could have, you know, pulled off to get to the number two, number number one, number two seed. Um, so like we uh, we have flashes in the pan. Like, oh yeah, the, you know, these teams did well. These teams w- did well. At the end of the day. Uh, the 49ers made it to the Super Bowl. They're the number one team. They were the, I mean, other than a little hiccup, uh, in the middle of the season where they had a three game skid, they looked good all year. And, um, you know, the Chiefs, they know how to turn it on when you get to the end of the year. I bet against the Chiefs. Uh, I thought the Ravens were just going to, uh, mollywop them, but, um, uh, I was wrong. And, Maybe there was a little bit of uh, happy feet when it came to the Ravens of, oh, no, we're down this amount. Uh, we have to get back into it um, quickly. And it just wasn't, uh, you know, they, they were just trying to do too much in uh, in, too, in in and just didn't uh, didn't wasn't practicing patience. So uh, they were just trying to do too much with too little. And uh, it bought him in, bit him in the behind. Uh, for the record, Kyle Kempt is a quality control coach at Iowa State still. So he stayed there and uh, 
was there that whole time. Kudos to you, Kyle Kemp. All right. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, you know, after the podcast, I am going to go down a rabbit hole of, uh, Iowa State quarterbacks since Seneca Wallace. Yes. That is going to be a fun list. Um, Seneca Wallace, um, I'm going to check this here because we are doing this. Did he, someone from Iowa State started for the Packers at one point. I want to say Seneca Wallace started one game. It had to have been. For the Green Bay Packers. Yeah. Um, yes, he, he went 0-1 in that game. Yeah. It Back was in the just, 2013 season. I uh, I will tell you this. I uh, had Madden in one of the first, like it had to have been like 14, 15, something in that, somewhere in that range. And my starting quarterback, I traded for Seneca Wallace. That's how much of a fan I was. I put Seneca Wallace on the uh, Denver Broncos and uh, cause I just thought he could do anything in the world. And uh, luckily I was playing on rookie level, not uh, all Madden level. Cause he wasn't great on that game. That's okay. We still love you, Seneca. All right. Let's jump to our 2023 all Brody team. The, we're going to go ahead and start with our specialists before we get to the defense and last but not least, the offense, it is a fun and interesting group. And just in case you're not familiar, this is similar to an all pro or an all Madden team. We're basically taking not necessarily one player per position, but it, we're basically making a starting offense, a starting defense and our starting specialists. So this would be our, our key 26 players if we were building a potential best roster in the league possible. So without further ado, I want to go ahead and get things started by talking about the specialists. And there's not a way to do that without jumping into the punters. Uh, one of the best punters this last year, because he punted quite a bit, was A.J. Cole, the punter for the Las Vegas Raiders. And because he was such a good punter, I went ahead and put with him his long snapper, Jaken Bobenmeyer of the Raiders as well. Uh, former Bronco Jacob Bobenmeyer. I know Derek remembers his days with the Broncos fondly. I have, uh, the, I have his jersey. Um, <laughs> long snappers are people too. Absolutely. But it, uh, it was really interesting. I was double checking. Uh, AJ Cole had 75 punts this year, had a over 50 yards per punt average, was netting around 43 yards per punt, which was really good. Uh, 34 punts inside the 20, which is a fantastic inside the 20 percentage. One of the best in the league. And for how often he was punting, I was like, no one else is putting it inside the 20 that often. So I went ahead and gave him the nod here. Uh, any thoughts? Uh, because, uh, that that's gonna be it for the Raiders on this uh, all Brody team. <laughs> yeah, I uh, well, the thing is, it's really easy to get your numbers like a really good average when you're punting 17 times a game for 17 games. I mean, you're it's you, you have one bad punt. Oh, it's okay. I have 15 more today because I play for the Raiders. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, going to the returner, 
I went ahead and gave that one to my guy, Keyshawn Nixon, the returner for the Green Bay Packers. I feel like uh, we're one of the teams that frequently would have someone return kicks and punts on a regular basis. And he just was taking care of it all the time. Uh, so I, I went ahead and needed to call him out, uh, as a special teams player. And he, uh, gives us a, a little bit of extra depth there at corner, Derek. So you can count him as a, a nickel corner if you need to on your defense. Never hurts to have that. It, do, it doesn't. And I think it's, uh, just in case, just, you know, the, the, I, I left, uh, left him on the specialist because he's so overwhelming on my defense that, uh, I, I I'm going to give some other, some other guy a shot. And then last but not least, uh, kicker, I went ahead and gave this one to Brandon Aubrey of the Dallas Cowboys. He came out of nowhere and had a really solid year for them, uh, coming up from the, USFL, if I'm remembering which league he was in, it's going to be easier now that it's going to be the UFL, uh, later this spring for me to keep track of where they were, but he was good. He was nailed a ton of kicks this year. And when the pressure was on, he was someone that they were able to rely on. Had a field goal make percentage of 94%, which is one of the best in the league. And he also only missed three extra points, and the Cowboys were scoring a lot of points this year. Also really strong on kickoffs with a 90% touchback ratio. Brandon Aubrey, he's my guy for kicker for the All-Brody team. Uh, so, hey, look right here. We have a Cowboy. We have two Raiders. You cannot tell us that we do not appreciate talent even when it's on teams we don't like. I'll tell you that the 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 Aubrey pick is a really good uh pick. There were some good kickers this year. Uh and you know we're not we're, we're not just going to toss Justin Tucker on there or anything like that. Um Brendan Aubrey made a name for himself this year and uh that team certainly needed needed him to uh to be special in uh, on the putting the special in special teams. You know Tucker only went one for five on from 50 plus this year. Like that's not, that's not very Tucker like, um, Aubrey went 10 for 10. Yep. Like credit where credit is due. Uh, Derek, when it came to all of this, I said, what kind of a defense do you want to set up? So why don't you go ahead and tell us about the players that we have on this all Brody defense? So I am old school. Um, I definitely do not play like they play uh, nowadays, and I certainly don't play like the Chiefs, where they just toss out different personnel um, to much like a, what an offense does. Uh, I'm going old school. I'm going with a 4-3 defense. Um, you're not going to run on me, and I am going to pressure the quarterback with my front four. Uh, so my... I'm going to go with my ends first, um, and my first end is going to be T.J. Watt for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, I mean, the most obvious pick that you could probably pick when it came to, to D.N., um, you know, 
if you're looking for a DN, just put a Watt on there. Um, I mean, you could go JJ, you could go TJ, um, special teams, you could go with a Derek. Um, Derek's are great people. But uh, TJ Watt led the league in sacks this year with 19 and is getting really underrated this year in the Defensive Player of the Year uh, race as a, someone else is, is going to win it. And uh, I feel sorry for TJ Watt because he's just excellent week in, week out, and uh, year in, year out. And he's going to walk away with a lot less hardware than he probably deserves. I mean, T.J. Watt, four forced fumbles, three fumble recoveries, 19 sacks, 36 quarterback hits. Uh, I think you put this one right where it needed to be. T.J. Watt, he lights up the defense. He does, and, and that is he is a, a bright spot on uh, shining the light on offensive yeah, I, I lost my, my metaphor there real quick. Uh, so for let's, let's move to the other side of the line, not technically the other side of the line because they play the same uh, the same side, but the guy who's probably going to win the uh, the defensive player of the year or the betting odds, should I say, and that's Miles Garrett. He's my other DN. This year he had 14 sacks, but more than that, he was a – focal point of I think statistically they were the best defense I didn't uh, I didn't see them play that good a defense when I watched them but I'm also uh you know I, I I expect more from defenses than other people so 14 sacks great you know only five behind uh TJ I know that sounds like a lot but putting up 14 sacks when everyone's keen on you probably doing a pretty good job I mean there's a reason why Miles Garrett was formerly the number one overall pick in the draft. True. He's very talented, and they base everything they do on that defense around the fact that Miles Garrett is going to get to the quarterback some. Uh, in addition to the 14 quarterback hits or sacks, he did have another 30 quarterback hits. So he was getting there. He was getting a lot of pressure. Still had four forced fumbles, just like TJ. Uh very fearsome on the edges there, Derek. Yeah, you're making me, you're making me uh, excited about this defense. I mean, here's the thing: we're, we're doing our very best to disrupt the timing and disrupt what the other team wants to do. So, if you're wanting, wanting to do that, let's put some of the best disruptors in the middle of the field. So, my first D tackle. Um, who's going to be there. He's going to eat up a lot of space, and he's going to get to the quarterback himself, and that's going to be Chris Jones uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs. So this Chiefs team, we just talked about it a minute ago. They are very uh, over – they're very underrated from where they have been the last couple of years. They're making plays, and with that, the big focal point is Chris Jones. Now, he held out at the beginning of the season – a little bit of a controversy there, but he is a very big part of their Super Bowl run and a guy who um, is a mentor to a lot of the younger guys, Carl Loftus, who is going to be a staple of the uh, the Chiefs defense for a long while. Uh, they there's a lot a lot of good things are said about Chris Jones uh, on what he does off the field to get his defense ready 
on the field. Uh, so you, you always have to know where he's at. You, he's going to disrupt not just a run play, but he's going to get up the middle. Uh, he's going to, you know, make your quarterback's life a little uneasy. I mean, I know that the name Chris Jones sounds generic, but there's a reason why he was holding out this year. Uh, he wanted that playoff money. He wanted to come in and do a lot of things this year. And I think that he is really hoping that he gets a nice big check this off season. So uh, Chris Jones's agent, make sure that you write down that he made the all Brody team. I know that it's very exclusive. So you, you want to make sure he gets that money for next year. Yeah, I uh, I would certainly say top of the resume, uh, all Brody team. We don't, I mean, no one cares about Pro Bowls anymore. So all Brody teams is where it is at. So if you're going to have someone um, key on the the center and the guard, we've got to go with the other D tackle position, uh, and that's Justin Matabuke from the the Ravens. Um, he had 13 sacks himself. So, you know, we talked about 19 with Watt, 14 with Garrett. He had 13 himself from the D tackle position. Um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the, the D tackle comments, Aaron Donald, probably the best player in the, in the league, no matter what position it is, offense, defense, uh, disruptor. Uh, Justin Matabuke is, is that, is, is that next guy. Uh, part of the Baltimore Ravens defense that has stymied offenses all year long has not gotten the credit that he uh, he deserves. Uh, run stopper, quarterback disruptor, sack master, um, and pressure guy. He is uh, he had fifty six fifty six solo tackles. Um, this year. And when you go and look at the other stats, there's guys who have 50, 60, 70 tackles, but they're assisted tackles, they're, uh, you know, it's assisted tackles and solo tackles put together. This guy has 56 by himself, uh, a lot of, um, he's really good at negative yard plays so getting the one or two yards uh getting pressure or you know getting up the middle stopping the running back in the backfield for a loss of a yard or two you know of course we talk about those sacks uh, in a division that is really difficult you got the browns you've got the steelers you've got the the Bengals. um you know none of those are easy teams to uh to do that on uh, and we'll talk about some of the some of the players from that division here in a little bit. Um, I mean, the best go up against the best, and uh, I I really like my uh, my front four. Caleb, what do you think of I mean, the 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 combination of those four guys? What do you think? I think they're fantastic. I think that in general they're when you, especially when you say disruptive, you. you Every one of these players is someone who I would want to put a double team on. Like, there, there is not one of them that you're like, okay, I can easily go one-on-one with this guy. No, you need the tight ends to chip on the outside. You're, you're like putting the running back in the backfield from the empty set saying, get back here. I want some protection. 
you it, it's going to get messy. That pocket is not going to stay clean. And Derek, I, I don't know if you're aware of this. Matabike is also going to be a free agent this year. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if the Ravens put a franchise tag on him because he was a third round pick a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And let's face it, over his career, he's made less than $5 million. I think he's going to get more than $5 million on this next contract. Let me tell you that. Probably. I mean, I, I would think so, um, especially after this season that he had. Um, so we started with the, the front four. Let's talk about the three behind him. This is my front seven. Um, they are going to stop the run. Or they're going to pressure the quarterback. They're going to keep everything in front of them. Um, so we've talked about guys who are going to go sack the quarterback. Let's just add one more of those guys, and that's going to be Micah Parsons for the Dallas Cowboys. Um, you know, 14 sacks on the season, um, not half bad. Let's put it that way from that position. Um, he is um, what a lot of people would call a boom or bust kind of linebacker um, in coverage. You might be able to to get him a little bit. But I'll tell you this, he is a much more valuable player to have on the field and versus, uh, you know, a replacement. The wins against replacement is pretty good for, for Micah Parsons. And this guy maybe has single-handedly um, brought a – given an opportunity for Dan Quinn to go back to be a head coach someplace because Dan Quinn, the defensive coordinator for the Cowboys, has done such a good job with this defense. Um, he has used guys that are not, you know, top five picks or whatever – to uh, to go out here and make a really stout defense, and Michael Parsons is that is that guy. Like he is uh, rangy. He's going to to hit you in a lot of different directions, up the middle, on the side. Um, you know, drop back into coverage on a tight end. It's a uh, it's fun to watch him play. Yeah. So. I'm just double checking here, Derek. I'm I'm going to pull out my calculator real fast because I want to make sure that I get this all accurate. Um, so uh, we got to get all of my sacks added up here so that I know how many bags I'm taking home with me today. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's 19 for TJ Watt. Uh, that was 14 for Miles Garrett. Chris Jones has 10 and a half. Uh, Matabike has 13. Oh, and Micah Parsons, who is coming from the linebacker spot, has 14. So I have to worry about 70 and a half sacks from your defense. Um, I, that's, that's really good. That's really good. Uh, I, I'm not going to be happy, especially when you just kind of slide Micah Parsons either up against my center or out to the outside. Whether he's faking it or not, I have to respect him coming. So it's not going to be fun. Not yes. going to be fun for me. So uh, a lot of times when you have that level of like really good sack masters uh, in front of everybody, you're going to scheme to get those guys outside. You're going to scheme to get those guys away from, okay, we're going to get quick passes. We're going to do slants. We're going to do a lot of other stuff. Um, and so you're just going to scheme um, to just – Put those guys outside of where you're, you're where you're going with your offense. How about we get a guy who's going to clean up um, any of those 
uh, overzealous, uh, sack masters and just bring in 132 tackles on the season. And that's going to be linebacker Fred, uh, Warner from the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, that guy mops up more plays than a, uh, twisty mop that you get at Dollar General. Oh, he just, Oh, he's in a bad position, gets across the field and gets the tackle. Uh, he turns bad plays for the defense into, uh, solid defensive stands, tackles guys in the open field, um, and is there where you need him to be. He's always going to be in the right position, always seems to, to know what's going to happen on the play before the play starts. So, I have Fred Warner as my linebacker. I love it. Uh, Fred Warner, I think that there are plenty of times I don't give him enough credit. Uh, he's, he's just so dang good. And the fact remains is that it doesn't matter who's the defensive coordinator out there in San Francisco. You know, if it's D'Amico Ryans, Steve Wilkes, uh, Bob Sala, like, Fred Warner goes out and puts out amazing season after amazing season. Maybe Fred Warner should just get hired as a head coach somewhere. I don't know. Uh, not really. We love seeing him play on the field, but, uh, he's fantastic. Crazy yeah, so, good. Yeah. And so with all that, you're going to want to keep the play in front of you. Um, and then the guy who's going to keep the play. Uh, you know, in that five to seven yard area, and it's going to be Roquan Smith. Roquan Smith, my third linebacker out of my four three. So uh, I am looking for anything within the five to seven yard range to be completely shut down. Um, you know, sacks or uh, you know, anything that to, to keep it under that. Uh, that first down marker, make them, uh, go up against, you know, a second and five, a second and, and seven, just to keep short, uh, short yardage on the offense. Roquan Smith is going to be the guy, 158 tackles on the year. Um, t- you just run right to him. Like, hey, uh, I'm a magnet. I am a running back magnet. I am going to stick to the guy. I'm going to make the play. Um, and you're going to have to run 12, 15 plays in a drive to, uh, to, to score anything. So, uh, just to recap, my linebackers, Micah Parson, Fred Warner, Roquan Smith out of my 4-3 defense. What do you think about Roquan, Caleb? You said 158 and I was like, dang, that is a lot of tackles. And then I had to double check because, uh, the two years prior to that, he had, 163 and 169. He he sat out the last game due to rest, and he had 158. So we're not even talking about someone that had to play the 17th game to get that many. Because I was like, that is a ton. He just gets everywhere, man. He yeah. impacts the ball. He has he gets picks. He deflects the ball. He can force fumbles. He gets a little bit of sacks every year. Like he he's. Going to give offensive coordinators nightmares as well. Uh, I've got to say, as far as your linebacker crew as a whole is concerned, the amount of 
freaky athleticism is just all over the place. So, dang. I don't, I don't have a good way to, uh, slow them down. Yeah, I, uh, we, we shall see when we get to, to your offense. So I'm going to, uh, to double up on my cornerbacks here, um, because these are guys that do not get thrown to. Um, and I'm going to add a little sauce to my secondary. So sauce Gardner is, uh, has last year had 12 pass defenses. Um, and the only reason he had only 12 is because quarterbacks, uh, he shuts down his guy. There's, there's no reason to throw that general vicinity. Um, and he is uh, a very young player, only been in the league a couple of years and only going to get better. But with that sauce, you're going to want to go out there and play some games. And what's better to play games on than a PS2? Got to toss in my Broncos uh, with a Patrick Sertan the second. Um, he also had pass, 12 pass defenses this year and an interception. Um, when you're playing against Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes, um, those Balls are going to come out, and they're going to, uh, you know, they're, they're going to be pass happy teams, um, and so you're you're looking at, at Patrick Sertan as a, a guy who's going to have a lot of opportunities to um, to shut down, you know, some of the better receivers like Rasheed Rice was out there. I mean, let's let's just name all the Charger receivers um, that we can because they've got a bunch of them. So what do you think about my cornerbacks, Caleb? I mean, lockdown. Like, it is going to be difficult to get too much done against these two. Uh, I feel like we didn't get to see enough of Sauce this year just because the Jets were behind so much. And teams were able to run instead of having to worry about trying to pass or throw at him much, but he's elite. So I love having him here. Uh, and you know that PS2, sometimes I'm like, is Derek being biased? And usually when I double check, it's no Patrick Sertan is that good. So no, no issues with your, your two corners here. Yeah. So I was going to put Alex Singleton on my linebackers uh, just to be a homer. Um, and he would have had, he would have had to replace like Fred Warner because he had about as many tackles as Fred Warner this year. Um, just didn't have as many, like, really, he, he, he went out there and played ball. Uh, I just want to play, be a homer. Um, but I uh, only put one Bronco on there. Um, you know, even though they had a pretty decent, uh, pretty decent defense. So we, uh, we get to the cornerback, you know, if they get past the defensive ends, if they get past the defensive tackles, if they can scramble out up against the linebackers and the receivers get past the cornerbacks, we've got to have the guy in the middle of the field to stop the play. And that's going to be your safety valves, those two wonderful safeties that I have. Um, for me, uh, it's going to be Mika Fitzpatrick for the Steelers, and Kyle Hamilton for the Ravens. Got a couple of Ravens on here. I wasn't, was not expecting, um, as many, you know, having a couple of, of Ravens on there. 
Um, but they did have a really good defense this year, and uh, we can see why. Uh, Mika, in only 10 games, it, uh, did have, uh, he had, did have 64 tackles. So open field, you know, when you're, when you're tackling as a safety, they're going to be open field tackles. They're going to be something happened. Uh, and you've got to, you got to clean up the play. And then for Kyle Hamilton, 81 tackles, four interceptions and a pick six this year. He had an amazing year. He had an amazing playoffs. Um, as it comes up. So I had to put him on my team as an overall, uh, two really great safeties, uh, on my team. I think that, uh, I could probably do, I could, I could go pretty deep in the playoffs with this defense. Absolutely. You would. Um, I do think it's interesting. I know we had the discussion recently about Parsons and Hamilton where it's, Hey, if you have some guy who's an elite defensive player, even if you don't value that position, don't overthink it. Yeah. Um, both Parsons and Hamilton went out of the top 10 in their respective draft class. Uh, don't those draft GMs look kind of dumb now? Um, Mika Fitzpatrick has been dynamite, uh, ever since he got off of the then tanking for two, uh, Miami Dolphins and onto the Pittsburgh Steelers. And he, he has not slowed down. This year was another solid year for Minka. I love having him on this list. And that's a fearsome defense, Derek. Uh, are you ready to switch it up and let's go to the, the offensive side of the ball? I want to see what you got on offense. Let's, uh, let's go. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to start on the offensive line, uh, work my way right to left. And then we're going to get to, uh, the outside tight ends, wide receivers, and then into the backfield. So. First things first, I've got Lane Johnson, the right tackle of the Philadelphia Eagles here. Uh, oddly enough, I only have two teams repeat at all on my offense. It, it's pretty rare that I get very much anyone coming back again on any of this group. But Lane Johnson, he's been in the league for what feels like forever. We've talked about it before. He doesn't really give up sacks. Uh, went out there, played all of the snaps, only had four penalties. Just, again, another solid, solid year from him at offensive tackle. And I know that it's right tackle. Sometimes people don't put as much of an emphasis on it. But Lane Johnson is just a beast on that right side. Uh, next to him, just to complete that right side, I went ahead and went with Chris Lindstrom from the Atlanta Falcons, uh, former first rounder, and he had a solid year. You know that he was out there blocking for Bijan, trying to get those holes open in the running game, and I just like Lindstrom. I feel like he's a little bit underrated, and I wanted to go ahead and put those two together for the right side of my offensive line. Uh, Derek, what do you think as far as a, a starting group? Uh, two Bird brothers on the right side. Yeah, uh, I would say Lane Johnson, beautiful singing voice. If you haven't uh, listened to the Philly Special uh, Christmas album from this last year, uh, a very nice baritone bass. And, uh, you know, better than he 
uh, gives himself credit for. Also a very good football player. Um, I was I was wondering if you're going to go Lane Johnson or if you're going to go Pene Sewell because Pene has done such a good job in the run game, but there is no bad um, bad choice in that one. Uh, Chris Lindstrom, really great pick, really underrated pick when it came to hey we're going to run the ball and uh, here's what we're going to do with it. Um, he's just going to push people around. Yeah, uh, speaking of uh, Lions offensive linemen, though, let's go ahead and move over to center. As I have Frank Ragnow, uh, he just was doing everything for the Lions, getting things set up on the blocking scheme, getting to the second level, just all around fantastic blocker, love what he was doing for the team there. Uh, moving to the left side at guard, I did go ahead and put in Joel Batonio of the Cleveland Browns. Batonio's been with the Browns for what feels like forever to me, and yet, you know, Nick Chubb gets hurt. Uh, let's put Jerome Ford back there. You know, they have like six different quarterbacks playing. Uh, Joel Batonio's out there playing guard. He'll get things taken care of. Um, I feel like he is uh, not – he's not Joe Thomas, but he's the new face of – Here's a guy who has been the offensive line for the Browns for what feels like forever. And when you think about what makes the Browns offensive line good, you usually go and circle him first. So I'm very excited to have him on my offensive line. Last but not least, to finish out my left side of the offensive line, I'm going with the man who has been such a great blocker and I I think I don't know that I can sit here and say that he's a, a guaranteed Hall of Famer, but if he keeps it up, I think that he will get there. And that is Trent Williams. Uh fantastic tackle for the San Francisco 49ers, especially since he joined the Niners. Just what Shanahan is able to do there with him has been phenomenal. He goes out there, dominates his man, makes the holes for McCaffrey and protects Purdy. Very underrated in what he does in the running and passing game as he does it all. Uh, anything you want to add about Ragnow, Betonio, or Trent? Perfect names on the other side of the line. Uh, Trent Williams is going to be a Hall of Famer. I, I really do. He is, he's that. They always say with the Hall of Fame, can you tell the story of the NFL during those years without naming this person and i'm not sure that you can tell the story of um offensive line football without talking about trent williams so i think he's a hall of famer joel batonio much like what you said um he's going to be a cleveland brown uh lineman just what <laughs> underrated uh, and frank ragnow uh, has gotten a lot more pub uh, because of the Lions getting as far as they have, um, but a uh, a well-deserved pub, uh, publicity for Ragnow. Yeah, I, I like what you're putting down there, Derek. Uh, let's go ahead, and uh, I'm going to go to one choice that I feel like may be considered a bit of a, a controversial choice here on my All-Brody team. And that is because at tight end, I went with a rookie, uh, Sam Laporta of the Detroit Lions. Uh, he went out, he had 86 catches for 889 yards and 10 touchdowns. 
And part of the big reason for me that got him here on this list was the double-digit touchdowns. I think the fact that he has been such a big threat and he made himself known during the season, and yet he still was getting touchdowns, he was a critical part of what made Detroit go from a nine-win team last year into becoming a 12- or 13-win team this year. I can't remember how many they had in the regular season. Um, Sam Laporta also is a fantastic blocker. He's not merely a catcher. Whereas someone, if I were to pick like an Evan Ingram who had more catches and a little bit more yards but less touchdowns, Evan Ingram doesn't block the same way that Laporta does. Um, TJ Hawkinson had more yards too, but was hurt at the end of the year. Uh, Travis Kelsey only had five touchdowns. George Kittle only had six touchdowns. When I was thinking of who meant the most to their team and who's able to do it all, uh, I went with Sam Laporta. What can I say? Uh, anything, were you surprised, Derek, or, or what did you think of this name on this list? Yeah, so Sam Laporta is a little bit of an out there for me. I would have put a Kittle in there only because he is so much more important when it comes to the run game. And, uh, I mean, we literally saw him, uh, block Aiden Hutchinson over the weekend, uh, one on one. Uh, and so I'm, I, I, I like blocking tight ends. Um, you know, there's always a, a good spot for a, uh, a wide receiver that, uh, is a big guy and calling himself a tight end. You know, Travis Kelsey's are, are is great, but, uh, he's a, He's a wide receiver, frankly. He's, he doesn't, he, he blocks a little bit. He chips. Um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, of more senior guys. I think Laporta is going to be good in the league for a long time. And, uh, then to get to wide receiver where, uh, it was, it was another tough decision to figure out what three receivers I wanted to have here. Uh, the first pick for me was C.D. Lamb, again, a Dallas Cowboy. I don't like having him here, but uh, we are an Oklahoma-based podcast. He led the league with 135 catches, which was 16 more than the next person. Uh, over 1,700 receiving yards, 12 touchdowns. Yes, he got that super long one in uh, right towards the end of the regular season when he had that monster game, but... I think he was the MVP of the Cowboys this year, and the Cowboys scored a ton of points on their offense. He's the only Cowboy I have on my offense, and he deserved his spot. Next up, former Oklahoma State Cowboy Tyreek Hill made it on here for the Miami Dolphins. Again, 119 catches, 1,700-plus receiving yards, and 13 touchdowns. When it came to my final spot, I really was having a tough time figuring out who I wanted to have give this to. Um, I looked at possibly doing another Lion and Amon Ross St. Brown, who had another phenomenal year. But I, I had to go with someone who I thought just has been Mr. Reliable over and over again and who I think uh, was a friend of the Baker this year. And that was Mike Evans of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yes, you need to have Baker there to do what they did, but if you don't have Mike Evans, they wouldn't have come close. Um, I know he only had 79 catches, but he had them for 1,255 yards, so his yards 
per reception is up there in the same category as like a Tyreek Hill. It's actually higher than Tyreek Hill, which is somewhat crazy to think of. And he also had 13 touchdowns. He's getting the ball. He's getting it into the end zone. He's what you want out there. Um, a couple of guys, if they would have had more touchdowns or more catches or more yards, the Diggs, the Adams, uh, DJ Moore, uh, if he would have been a little healthier and had a little bit more impact, I think Cortland Sutton could have been here, Derek, which mm-hmm. I know you, you will love, uh, the, the Bronco name drop that I'm tossing your way. Um, uh, any thoughts about the three receivers that I'm taking in this 11 personnel offense? Because it is incredibly hard to pick three receivers when you're looking at the entire NFL. Oh yeah, this was the hardest, um, pick I think that we had on any of the, uh, uh, any of the picks, um, like there's no Puka on there. Um, that, that would be a, a tough pick. Like, you know, who do you toss off of there and to put, uh, to Puka Nakua on there because, you know, rookie, the best w- rookie wide receiver we've ever seen statistically. Um, you know, like you said, you, you've got the other guys that you, that you've talked about. Um, Tyreek Hill, you definitely cannot uh, take off this list. He is just so dramatic uh, and dynamic when it comes to offenses. Uh, C.D. Lamb is probably the reason why the, the Cowboys did anything this this season. So I do not envy you anywhere trying to pick one. I mean, or try to pick three of uh, thirty. You know, what probably twenty five to thirty guys that could go on this list. Yeah. It was not not a short list to figure out who was available here. Um, last but not least, uh, well, not last. I have two spots. We're getting to the backfield. We'll go to running back. I went ahead and took Christian McCaffrey. Led the league in rushing with 1,459 yards. 14 touchdowns. Uh, the only running back with more touchdowns this year was Raheem Mostert, which was definitely more of a, you know, dual role situation for him this year. And then you have to throw in the fact that in the receiving game, he's going out there with 67 catches for 564 yards and seven touchdowns. 21 touchdowns during the regular season, like, and and Derek, I don't want you to feel salty because I you you hyped up your man Brock Purdy earlier. If I were picking an MVP for the 49ers, he's who I take. But I don't know that it's by a lot. But it is because Christian McCaffrey literally can do anything that you need him to do. Um, I love seeing how hard he runs. He always seems to find the hole well. Uh, they keep talking in the playoffs. I heard them talking about his explosive runs. He's just good. Uh, if he's been on the field, which he has been the last two years, he's one of the most dynamic players the game has seen. And I'm not trying to be hyperbolic with that. When he was with Carolina, he was tearing up the league. Now that he's with the 49ers, he's tearing up the league. You just got to watch because 
he's going to keep it up and he's going to just keep being great. Uh, anything that you want to add, Derek? I have no issue with this. It's a good pick. Um, like you're, you are right when it comes to Chris McCaffrey is the best running back in the league right now and is showing it. So yeah, good, uh, good pick there. And let me go ahead and close this out with what may be one of the more interesting picks that I have because I, I, ha- I can only pick one quarterback. We've got so many good quarterbacks in the league. The team, the person who I felt like lifted his team the most and just his team would have not even had a chance with a replacement level quarterback was Patrick Mahomes. Um, Maybe it's recency bias because we just saw the AFC Championship game and he won the two road games against Allen and Lamar Jackson. But I just feel like what Patrick Mahomes does, he just does a little bit more and a little bit differently than everyone around him. Was it his best year? Oh, my gosh, no. Uh, He's sixth in passing yards. He only had 27 touchdowns and 14 interceptions. That's pretty awful for him. Like, it wasn't a Mahomesian year, if you can even say that, in terms of standards. But part of that is that we're moving him too far back because we've set the expectations so high for him. He still passed for 500 yards more than Lamar Jackson. He still had more touchdown passes than Lamar Jackson. And if you want to talk about someone who's more of a dual threat, like Josh Allen or Jalen Hurts, I just felt like there's too many picks for those guys and too many mistakes that they made down the stretch to really put them here. Patrick Mahomes was the person who did everything for their offense because the only other person, well, there was two people who were really solid in the skill positions, and it's Kelsey and Pacheco. But outside of that, everyone else has been uh, a little bit of a chaotic energy. You don't know who's going to do what on any given game. So I'm going with Patrick Mahomes here. Derek, uh, I know you said that my wide receiver picks were my hardest. <laughs> I, I don't know if this was harder or not, but it was it was definitely up there. So the thing that you said that made me get on board with your um, with your pick was that Patrick Mahomes is the only person that if you replaced him with somebody else that they that there would be a significant drop off. Um, I think I mean we we, we saw um, a lot of good players this year. There was a lot of injuries. This out that were out there in the uh, in the league, we saw what happened with Joe Burrow. We saw, um, you know, we know what would happen if Lamar Jackson um, was out. There would be a, a drop off, but I think that team, you know, rallies together. Um, Patrick Mahomes basically is the the Chiefs' offense um, when it comes to getting the ball into the into the correct people's hands. So. Um, you know, wins against, wins, uh, against replacement, um, is 
high for Mahomes, and everything you laid out was uh, was correct. Whew. Okay, good, 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 good. I feel good. Uh, Derek is on board with me, and we are aligned on that one because it is it's tricky um, sometimes when you're picking these out. So that is it for our all Brody team. Uh, I appreciate you guys all listening to this episode because it was a lot of fun for us to put it together. Uh, like I said before, you can always follow us on Twitter or X at Brody Talk. And also make sure you check out at Daily Grind Pod, as I know that they are going to be doing a contest with us on our Twitter soon. So you'll definitely want to go check that out for the Super Bowl. And I've got to say, next week, Derek, we will be previewing the Super Bowl. I've got some exciting things up our sleeve, so you're not going to want to miss that episode. And let's face it, this all Brody team was way more fun than times, uh, in my opinion at least, Derek, that we've talked about alternate things to do at the Pro Bowl because eh, the Pro Bowl is not the most exciting, although I still may check it out. But on behalf of my fantastic co-host, Derek, My name is Caleb Walgren. Thank you for listening. We appreciate you, and y'all have a good one. Bye, guys.